It happens, no doubt, that from Bristol, you've crossed in a casual way, and have sailed your yacht in the summer in the blue of Swansea Bay. Well, it isn't like that in the winter, when the lighthouse stands alone. In the teeth of Atlantic breakers that foam on its face of stone. It wasn't like that when the hurricane blew and the storm bell tolled, or when there was news of a wreck and a lifeboat launched and a desperate cry for men. From The Women of Mumble's Head by Clement Scott. The women that inspired the pen of Clement Scott to such an extent that he would immortalize them in verse were two sisters, Jessie and Margaret, the daughters of the lighthouse keeper of the Mumbles Lighthouse. As suggested by Clement Scott, the Mumbles Lighthouse was not a stranger to fierce Atlantic winter storms, but something unusually fierce was brewing in late January 1883. Hello, and welcome to the Shipwreck Archive. Thank you. Would you happen to have the story, Women of Mumbles and Admiral Prince Adalbert? Here we are. Enjoy! The Admiral Prince Adalbert, a German bark that was sailing from Rochefort to Swansea with a cargo of pitwood began her voyage up the Bristol Channel on Friday the 26th of January in worsening conditions. On board, she had Captain Ludwig Leibner and 16 crew members, all fighting to keep their ship on course in the growing gale. Since the middle of the week, winds had begun to blow hard, but around four in the morning on Saturday, the wind took on a more frightening strength, and it was accompanied by hail and rain. They were now steering in darkness, completely counting on the guidance of the lights of the channel. The Admiral Prince Adalbert was missing part of her rigging, and her men were exhausted. Captain Leibner ordered the ship's anchor be dropped and signals sent for a pilot boat to come to their aid and guide them to safety. The flares were fired, but in such terrible weather conditions, no pilot was willing to take the risk and come to their aid. Around nine in the morning, Abraham Ace, lighthouse keeper of the Mumbles Lighthouse, could see the bark coming up the channel, clearly completely unmanageable. Around the ship, he could see a small steam tug, and for a while, he strained to see if the tug was towing the Admiral Prince Adalbert or not. By half past nine, he could say with certainty that the tug was not connected to the bark. That was not for want of effort, though. While for several hours the pilot boat had not responded to their signals for a pilot to come help them, a local steam tug, the Flying Scud, did decide to answer, though not for free. Aware of the danger, as well as the Admiral Prince Adalbert's desperate need, an agreement was reached that they would receive 500 pounds if they were able to tow the bark to safety. With this deal reached, they did their best to earn their pay, but to no avail. Under the force of the storm, both of the ship's hawsers snapped, separating them from the tug. They were once again forced to weather the storm on their own. And now they were drifting towards danger. 
in his lighthouse, Abraham Ace could only watch the ship head towards the known danger of the Mixon sandbank, and he was certain that the Admiral Prince Adalbert was going to strike. On board the ship, Captain Leibner was also aware of the danger, and he ordered the anchors be dropped and the ship's topsails used to try to back the ship. The chain of the first anchor parted, and the second one dragged in the force of the storm. The ship was carried by the waves onto the rocks to the west of the Mumbles Lighthouse. Lighthouse Keeper Ace was not the only one aware of the danger that the people aboard the Admiral Prince Adalbert were now in. Almost immediately, the life-saving crew from Mumbles could be seen going into action. Trying to fight a rocket with a line to the ship, while also getting the lifeboat ready to launch. Even as they did so, the waves were not done with the Admiral Prince Adalbert, and the boat was bumped repeatedly by the waves until her masts fell from the repeated battering and the waves washing over her. As it became increasingly clear that the rocket was not going to be any use in this situation, the lifeboat was manned and launched. The lifeboat at Mumbles had a long and illustrious career by 1883, it had been presented to the Royal National Lifeboat Institution by the town of Wolverhampton in 1866 and had been named the Wolverhampton in the honor of the gift givers. By the time it went out to aid the Admiral Prince Adalbert, it had saved 76 lives from various shipwrecks in its service. At Mumbles, people all over town were running to tell the crew of the boat the news of the wreck even as they were readying the lifeboat already. Much of the town was concerned about what was going to happen to anyone trapped on the rocks in such a storm. Indeed, many of the people came to report the wreck before the Admiral Prince Adalbert had even struck. Everyone knew what was coming. In the lighthouse, Lighthouse Keeper Ace ordered that everything should be made ready to save lives. The lifeboat had a crew of 13 in total, many of them related. The coxswain in charge of the lifeboat was Jenkins Jenkins, and with him came his four sons, one of whom acted as second coxswain, his nephew, and his son-in-law, all acting as part of the crew. The lifeboat at Mumbles was a family affair. The remainder of the crew were experienced oyster dredgers who could be expected to know how to handle the boat. As the lifeboat headed through the inner sound, they could see the bark right ahead of them. They went 20 or 30 yards to the windward of the ship and dropped their anchor. Nearby were two steam tugs. One was the Flying Scud that had already attempted to tow the Admiral Prince Adalbert. The other was a tug named the Flying Cloud. The lifeboatmen could not help but observe that the tugs did not show any willingness to help them with their rescue work. It was the intention of the lifeboat to get a rope to the Admiral Prince Adalbert and haul her crew to safety that way. The crew on the bark, realizing their intention, got a lifeboy over the side with a rope attached, and the crew of the lifeboat managed to haul it up and then attach their own four-inch thick rope to it, and this was pulled onto the Admiral Prince Adalbert. This rope helped them bring two men from the ship and into the lifeboat. But in attempting to bring a third man off the ship, a crewman named Peter August Raberg, disaster struck. 
Braberg had actually taken the rope against the captain's orders. It was the intention of Captain Leibner that they should have the boys leave the ship first, because he was concerned that the ship would break up before they could all evacuate. In Captain Leibner's words, boys are boys, men are men. The boys go first. The first two to travel along the rope were some of the younger members of the ship's company. But when it came time for the third person to go, Raberg snatched the rope from the boys' hands. In spite of Captain Leibner telling him not to go and to give the rope to the boy, he began to proceed down the rope. Unfortunately for Raberg, it was while he was dragging himself along the rope that a giant wave crashed over them. On board the Wolverhampton, the lifeboat crew had been so focused on their rescue mission that they failed to notice that the rope that connected them to the ship had been chafing. Even if one of them had noticed, the roar of the storm was so loud that it was said that none of them could hear one another even if they did try to speak. Under the crashing wave, the rope gave up and the lifeboat was immediately upset. Some of the men managed to remain in the boat, but a majority of the crew found themselves in the water. Coxon Jenkins' nephew, John Williams, would later testify that he didn't even know what had happened. He was suddenly in the water, being carried by the giant wave. He was finally landed on the deck of the Admiral Prince Adalbert, which until moments before had been at least 20 feet above him. It was a disorienting experience, but he had come away unscathed. Not everyone was so lucky. Raberg, between the boat and the ship, never stood a chance. From the deck of the Admiral Prince Adalbert, John Williams could see that some of the men from the lifeboat had managed to scramble back on board of her, only to be washed out again almost immediately afterwards. This included Coxon Jenkins, John Jenkins, and the coxswain's son-in-law, William McNamara. William McNamara had been injured in the initial accident when the rope snapped, and the men on board of the lifeboat barely managed to pull him on board when they were washed out again. In the water and fighting for their lives again, the lifeboat no longer in their reach, Coxon Jenkins could hear his son John shout to him that his head was cut open. The coxswain was injured as well but he was still able to pull his son ashore. Unfortunately, it was too late. It was only after this that the Flying Scud, which had been the closest of the tugs to them, had finally decided to act and took the lifeboat in tow. The lifeboat was in rough condition after the accident. The port side of the boat and her bottom had been stove in by the rocks, and her starboard side was broken where she had struck against the Admiral Prince Adalbert. From his vantage point on the ship, John Williams could also see Jenkins Jenkins Jr., who was covered in blood, and George Jenkins, whose leg was broken, get washed onto Bob's cave under the lighthouse, where he lost sight of them. Both men had managed to remain in the boat when the rope had snapped, but when the boat had slammed into the side of the Admiral Prince Adalbert, both men had been badly injured and thrown into the water. Amazingly, the two members of the bark's crew that had been rescued before the accident had managed to hold on and remained in the lifeboat the entire time, 
being brought to safety under the toe of the Flying Scud. The people on the shore could only watch in horror as the lifeboat was pitched around by the sea, and the men who were well-known members of their community ended up in the sea and in grave danger. The people at the lighthouse had an even better viewpoint, and the daughters of the lighthouse keeper decided that they could no longer watch. In spite of their father's warning them to not go near the water, they both ran outside. Margaret Wright and her younger sister, Jessie Ace, tied their shawls together to use as a rope and brought William Rosser, who had been a member of the lifeboat crew, to the shallows. Once he was near enough, they waded out and helped him to shore. Nearby, one of the soldiers stationed near the lighthouse, a man named Gunner Hutchings, pulled another member of the lifeboat crew, John Bredger, to safety. Slowly the tide ebbed, and the men who were still trapped on the Admiral Prince Adalbert, including John Williams, were able to scramble down and walk along the Mixon Sands. Completely submerged when the ship struck, when the tide went out, the sands became a firm path for the shipwrecked sailors, even in the harsh storm. Though it had been the concern of everyone, both on the shore and on the ship, that she would not last long enough for low tide in such a powerful storm, the 885-ton ship had been able to offer enough shelter for no one to be washed off of her. The men walked to safety. Coxon Jenkins could be said to have borne the heaviest loss from the wreck. He lost two of his sons, John and William, as well as his son-in-law, William McNamara. In total, due to the wreck, Mumbles had four new widows and 19 children who had lost their fathers. The public outpouring of support was instant and generous, with a fund raised for the support of the families of the men who had not survived the lifeboat accident, as well as the men who had been injured in the attempt to save those who had been on board the Admiral Prince at Albert. A new lifeboat was also funded for Mumbles. This one was also named the Wolverhampton. As it was a German ship, the Emperor and Empress of Germany also sent gifts, both monetary and otherwise, for those who had been involved with the rescue. This included the Daughters of Abraham Ace, though the Royal National Lifeboat Institute did not recognize their actions, while honoring Gunnar Hutchings and the men of the lifeboat crew. There was a short media fervor for the two sisters, including postcards featuring their pictures, and a large illustrated piece in Punch magazine. Clement Scott was inspired to write a poem in their honor. In 2016, the two sisters were honored with a blue plaque by the Mumbles Pier, telling the story of their bravery in rushing towards the water in the middle of a fierce January storm. For the people of Mumbles, this was not the end, however. The inquest that was held for John and William Jenkins was thorough and did everything possible to find where the fault lay. It was fairly quickly determined that it did not lay with the men of the lifeboat, who had done everything they could and had risked their lives trying to save lives. More fault was found with the two steam tugs that had not acted. In every testimony, 
it was agreed that disaster could have been averted if the Flying Scud had passed a rope to the lifeboat or assisted in taking the men off of the wrecked Admiral Prince Adalbert. Captain Leibner also added in some harsh words for the Flying Scud, asking 500 pounds to tow them, even though he had been forced to agree to it due to the danger they were in. He was even less happy that the Flying Scud had not continued to attempt to tow them when the second hawser had broken, and instead abandoned them where they were certain to strike the rocks. Captain Rosser of the Flying Scud testified in his defense that he did not have a suitable tow rope on his boat to give to the Admiral Prince Adalbert, which was why he had not passed it to them. He freely admitted quoting the price of 500 pounds for the job. He gave a much weaker excuse for failing to help the lifeboat until it was too late. He stated that he had not passed them a rope after their rope had snapped because he was traveling away from the Admiral Prince Adalbert, and that if he had passed them a rope, he would have towed them away from where they could save lives. The captain of the Flying Cloud did not testify. The jury censured both of the Flying Scud and the Flying Cloud, finding them partially responsible for the loss of life due to their inaction. The jury also absolved the soldiers who were stationed near the lighthouse of an equal level of apathy. Newspapers had begun to carry a story that said that the soldiers had watched indifferently as men struggled in the water and stood by as the daughters of Abraham Ace jumped into action. No one who had been present and actually witnessed what had occurred agreed with this version of events, and Gunner Hutchings saved one of the lifeboat crew could be seen as clear proof against the story of apathy. The same storm that wrecked the Admiral Prince Adalbert claimed several other ships, as well as causing flooding that drowned livestock and caused houses to collapse. Within the same region as the Admiral Prince Adalbert wrecking, two other ships met with even worse fates. On the same morning that the bark wrecked, the Agnes Jack, a steamer that had left Mumbles only the day before, struck Scipia Point. All lives on board were lost since no one was able to reach her, and it inspired the establishment of a lifeboat house in the area. A more direct result of the Mumbles lifeboat disaster was the tragic end of the ship, the Black Watch. After she was witnessed dragging her anchor near Port Call, the Mumbles lifeboat was called for, but was at that time only reported otherwise engaged. Two steam tugs were therefore dispatched, but by the time they reached the area, the Black Watch was nowhere to be found, presumed lost with all hands. There would be later storms, and even another Mumbles lifeboat disaster. But the storm of 1883 was a bitter reminder of the dangers of the Bristol Channel. For more information, please see the South Wales Daily News from the 31st of January, 1883, or see our other sources in the description below. Thank you for listening. Thank you for visiting the Shipwreck Archives. See you soon.